When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I ain't never, I ain't never seen nobody like you. Oh, 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 never have I ever seen nobody like you. Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you who are taking this journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with musicians whose parents made a name for themselves in the music business. We'll see how they caught the music bug themselves, and ultimately what inspired them to continue the family legacy and pursue their own musical journeys. I'm Robert K. Orman, and I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey, Robert. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this afternoon. And you should. You're in, you're in for a real treat. <laughs> Our guest here, we're in trendy, hipster East Nashville, in Music City, USA, in the beautifully restored vintage Victorian home of one of the most beloved and respected performers in contemporary country music. She's a former Country Music Association Female Vocalist of the Year Award winner. She's a successful songwriter, both for herself and other artists. She has a wall full of gold and platinum records and a string of more than 20 top 10 hits like Maybe It Was Memphis, Cleopatra, Queen of Denial, Mi Vida Loca, Shake the Sugar Tree, When You Walk in the Room, Don't Tell Me What to Do, and the list goes on. I'm talking about Grand Ole Opry star Pam Tillis. In addition to her own many, many accomplishments, Pam is the daughter of Country Music Hall of Fame member Mel Tillis, who is also a songwriter of towering achievements, if we do say so. Absolutely. <laughs> mm, thanks for being with us. Thank you. You were just a baby when you moved to Nashville. I was. And oldest of five kids, all of whom are musical. Yes. And uh, To varying degrees. To varying degrees. Yes. <laughs> so I would call you a hometown girl made good. You, uh, Your earliest, earliest memories of your dad and music... I think you've told me you actually slept in his guitar case. Is that right? Yeah, he took me with him one day. This is really, you know, I really don't remember it. It's like a reconstructed memory because I was so little. But what I know happened is it's very sweet. Daddy was babysitting me, which is kind of hard for me to fathom because he <laughs> not, did very little of that. Not the babysitting type. Yeah, he's not really the babysitting type, but... Legend has it that he took me with him to Cedarwood Publishing Company. Oh, that's where he was a songwriter. Yes, mm -hmm. and I guess he was kind of showing me off, and um, you know, he put me. I got sleepy, and he put me in his guitar case for a nap. And uh, I tell everybody it was fortunately for me he left the lid up, <laughs> <laughs> and it's also given me a you know. Uh, a real uh, inclination towards wearing a lot of crush crush velour. <laughs> Those old guitar cases had that great crush velour. Exactly. In it. it was soft in there, though. It was it soft. Was, it was actually pretty yeah, smart. Yeah. Now thing. the string marks on your face were, you know, hard to wear off. But no. <laughs> you were quite a precocious little thing. I you went to your yes. kindergarten teacher and said, "I'm a songwriter," right? Yeah. That's that. I didn't find that out for years either. A lady uh, showed up at a gig. 
I think it was back when they had the Geo Theater mm-hmm. at Opryland. Anyway, she showed up and she said, uh, "Do you remember me?" And I went, "Gosh, you look familiar." She said, "I was your four-year-old kindergarten teacher," and I go, "Oh, that that's fantastic!" And, and I was happy to see her. And she said, uh, "I don't think you remember this either," but she said, "You used to show up every day at at kindergarten and say, would you like to hear my new song?'" Because that's, so that's what was going on in our house. Daddy was, you know, some people when they write a song, they sit down and there's a piece of paper. Well, now it's a laptop. But, you know, it was a piece of paper and a pencil. And Daddy would would work on things. He did some of that. But he also had this method of writing where he would sing it. You could barely hear him. It was kind of under his breath. And he would just go over it and over and over and over like he was hammering it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was kind of writing all day long. And and the charts, if you go back in time, the charts really bear that out because he wrote a, about 500 songs in a period of 10 years, I think. Mm-hmm. So he, he re- so that's what I was around. And then... Uh, Another great memory is, you know, they used to, he, they would do the demos. and Song he would, demonstration tapes. Song demonstration tapes. And he would show up in the middle of the night, much to my mother's chagrin, in varying degrees of sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> and they brought, he'd drag in, at that time they had, he had an old woolen sack. Now we're talking gear. Right. Uh, uh, reel-to-reel. Tape recorder. Tape recorder. And he'd get home, and he'd somehow, even though he'd be slightly inebriated, manage to thread that tape through the heads, <laughs> and he would play whatever they'd worked on all day and all night. And I woke up to that many, many nights in the middle of the night hearing that. He had you on stage at the Grand Ole Opry when you were eight. Did yeah. he, was he doing that because, oh, look at my cute little girl? Or could you really sing at age eight? Yeah, I was already singing, uh, but he wasn't really showing me off as much as he was including me because he would let a lot of children come. He did a Curtis Mayfield song, Amen. Mm-hmm. Remember that song? Sure. With the impressions. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And he would do a kind of a, what, is, a sh- what do you call that? A send up, you know, kind of a gospel-y thing. And he'd bring little kids up to sing and it was uh, sweet. And I said, Daddy can I come up too? <laughs> when all the other little children come up, can I come up too? And he said, well, sure, if that's what you want to do. So I did. And you sang. And I sang. <laughs> Except he handed the microphone to me, you know, and he gave me, and I always say this story, there again, this this memory has been so, it's a memory on steroids, really, is what it is. And uh, I've kind of blown it up in my mind, but... It was like I always imagined the, the microphone came down to me in slow motion, <laughs> like the passing of a baton, and I got it, and I just started singing, but I was so nervous. I wanted to do it, but I was so nervous that my little knobby knees started shaking, and I went, oh, this is not good, and I got them under control, and, and the shake traveled up through my body, <laughs> and it's, my little lips started quivering, and I looked like little Elvis, and it was just a funny little moment, but I, I really, I loved it. I was, that's when I think the bug bit me. 
You sang Tom Dooley on the Opry, too. Yeah, we did. And uh, we also sang the, uh, Tom Dooley on the Porter Wagner show. Oh, really? I Daddy? Don't, I oh, don't yeah, know yeah. This. Yeah, you can go back and find If anybody could find that footage, you could. But um, Daddy took me and there were four of us at the time, little stair steps, me, my sister Connie, my sister Cindy, and my little brother Sonny. And Mom sewed our outfits. Oh, of course she did. <laughs> yes, we had little gingham, like square dance, little gingham dresses. And, and uh, my brother had a little gingham shirt with a vest. And, and we sang Tom Dooley on the Porter Wagner Show. And that's when I met Dolly Parton. There so. you go. Do Tom Dooley. Hang yeah. down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, poor boy, you're bound to die This time tomorrow I wonder where I'll be Down in some lonesome valley Swinging from a wide oak tree Really great uh, children's song. Yeah, real, real cheery. <laughs> yeah, real cheery. <laughs> Of all of our children of song, you probably have the most complex and complicated relationship uh, with your dad. I don't know about that. There's probably a few more dysfunctional, (laughs) but we're right up there. (laughs) But yet, throughout your career, you have returned to his music periodically, Mm -hmm. here and there, and uh, even when you weren't getting along, you know. Mm -hmm. So what what did he think when you quit college and said, I'm going to be a professional musician? Was he happy? Well, you have to put it into context. I don't think it was my career decision that he was concerned about. I think it was my overall stability. (laughs) You were a party girl. I was a loose cannon. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was a loose cannon. And it was funny, if I may be so frank, Daddy had... Like, I, I really led a sheltered existence in suburban Nashville. And Daddy knew something about the outside world, which I didn't. And he goes, and so where did I hightail it to? Right out of, right out of college, I basically went to the corner of hate and Ashbury. She <laughs> did, she did. Of course, this was way past the 60s, but still that was imprinted in Daddy's mind. You, you know, he goes, be, yeah, I was going to go to drop acid in Berkeley. That's what he thought. You know, that's that's not what happened. But it was still a pretty crazy scene, you know, and and, uh, and I didn't stay a long time because it was a pretty, it was still a pretty, you know, the musicians and the environment, it, it wasn't what I'd call healthy. <laughs> well, he was protective of you. He was very protective, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he knew what it was like out there on yeah. the road, too. But he wanted me to sing. He took I you think. on the road with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about being on the road for the first time, singing backup. Yeah, that was, it was, it was an okay experience. I wish, I wish it could have been a little bit better. But there again, I think he was in an, an odd place as a person, and I was in an odd place as a person, and you so were still in your rebel girl phase. Yeah, and and I think there's just there was so much. Um, literally, Robert, I brought my baggage with me on the on the road, and and so you clashed, or there was just 
there was just a lot of painful baggage out there with us. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to be a daddy, but he just, it just didn't, it wasn't so much in his toolbox, you know. And two, you were, per, your own music at that time was not country. Mm, no, it wasn't. You were, in fact, you were no. pursuing everything but. Yeah, although I, I there were some things in country that I that I did love and they were like little beacons to me because there were little people pointing there were people pointing the way and said this could be this could be more what you are in tune with and so I was getting a sense that there was an overlap first of all I didn't realize how cool daddy was which is typical but I thought there were some other people that seemed like they were combining dad's music you know dad's era with a different kind of sensibility um sounds funny now but don williams was kind of mm-hmm. edgy and of course willie and waylon and emmy lou um you know emmy lou and graham parsons and so i was aware of um you know some of that stuff that was hippie country well and you were singing that. you know you were you were trying to you sang on Crystal Gale records. Yeah, you sang on yeah. Your Body as an Outlaw, one of your dad's yeah, hits. Yeah. So you were out there oh, doing yeah. it yeah. and dabbling a little in sure, country, but sure. at the same time singing Donna Summer's hits in the bars. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, But at the time, it paid to be very versatile because if you're self-employed, uh, the more versatile you are, the, the better mm-hmm. your chances are of paying the rent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had a, 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 a wonderful Barbara Fairchild cut early on, um, yeah. on the other side of the morning, but a lot of your early songs were cut by R&B people, right? Mm-hmm. Gloria Gaynor cut one, the I Will Survive, mm-hmm. Gloria Gaynor. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan, that was an unbelievable thing. I mean, there's a whole story behind that, but... So you uh, were encouraged still yeah, at that point? Well, and at that time... Like everybody always talks about how country doesn't sound country anymore, but mm-hmm. that's always been country has always been uh, inclusive of other influences. And it, you know, at the time, think back to like House of Gold, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a big influence of R and B, like Don, uh, Barbara Mandrell was cutting, you know, mm-hmm. Conway. Conway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Slowhand. Conway Twitty did Slowhand, which was a Pointer right, Sisters hit. Right, mm-hmm. so there was a big overlap. Uh, people were covering George Benson hits, and so I, I got uh, my start in studio work being known as the girl that could come in and sing country and R&B. So along about 1985, you kind of start making the turn into country music. Mm-hmm. Was your dad pleased about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he... he he was pretty cool about it. He said, uh, you know, he stifled uh, a lot of I told you so's, <laughs> which, which is not hard. I mean, that's not easy for dad to do, but he, he was pretty cool about it. You had a thing called uh, Twang Night where you would sing country oldies. Yes. No new songs at all. Yes. And one of the songs you picked up was The Violet and the Rose. I know. Which is a lovely Mel Tilla song. It's a lovely, beautiful song. And uh, it was Mel's first charted single. On Columbia. On Columbia. That's right. And it was on a Wanda Jackson record it was a hit. was it really it was a hit for Wanda actually mm-hmm. it was yep I love her I do too oh what key would that be in roses are red 
I mean, you're trying everything. You talked about being versatile and being able to work. You even went to uh, do a uh, Jesus Christ Superstar in the middle of all this. And it's like you sang Mary Magdalene's part. Yeah, that was fun. What was fun. that like? It was great. I mean, I, I like trying to... I've never had time to really delve seriously into the acting world. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't afford the learning curve. <laughs> uh, but, um, but I've enjoyed pushing myself out of my comfort zone and giving it a go. Mm-hmm. And uh, haven't nobody's gotten the hook out yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. Uh, I thought, I said, I'm going to do a, I thought I'd, I had this fantasy of me walking out on stage and singing the most country sounding, I don't know how to love him that has ever been done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to love him. <laughs> oh. So finally, 1990, you have your first really big country Oh, by hit. the way, that's not what I did. <laughs> no, I know. You you were great in no, it. No, I didn't do that. I was there. <laughs> in 1990, you finally have a hit as a writer with Someone Else's Trouble mm-hmm. with, for Highway 101. And in the next year, finally, we get the the first hit record, yeah. Don't Tell Me What to Do, yeah. written by, co-written by Harlan Howard, one of your dad's mm-hmm. great confederates. Mm-hmm. So... It was great. It was so great. We all cheered. We were all, here's the funny thing. We would all go like, when are you going to be a star? And she would go, I'm working on it. I know. (laughs) I started avoiding going to the grocery store because so many people here would say that to me, which was great. I had the support. We all loved her, but she didn't Thank have a hit. I <laughs> know. But p- p- pressure. There was a lot was of pressure. A little, started to build up started a little bit. Started to build. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and did the connection with your father, didn't that build too? Because you thought you should have been there because of him? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Because I always, I don't know how much of that it was as much as the, just the community. The community and, just knew how good she was. You know, it's like, you know. Yeah, I just, I felt like I was letting them down. Well, and this isn't any ordinary community, too. No. I mean, this isn't like growing up, up in up... some small town Ohio. No, no, this she, is... would, she would do uh, Women in the Round, yeah. and she would do all these different things where they would team her with other women, and she tried theater, and she tried yeah. R&B. Different and bands. Pop. She and did a different... whole pop album. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just, we were all going like, yes, yes. And then it wouldn't happen. <laughs> and I was getting to work in the best studio, studios in town and with the best producers and the best uh, all musicians that were just starting out that are now in the uh, Musicians Hall of Fame. I mean, there was just a great, uh, man, what do you call that? The the the, far, the team that's coming up, you know, the, the, in training. The yeah. far, they were just amazing. And, they, I, and you were all coming up together. Yeah, we all came up together. That was the fun thing. It was fun. So the hits start rolling in, finally. And yeah, there was a little... Ru- I had a good run. You had a real good run. So um, there's maybe it was Memphis. Is that Which ones do the fans still respond to the most? 
Uh, Memphis is a big one. And Sugar Tree. I'd never thought that one would be. That was an odd song. It was an you odd record. You know what's interesting record. about your catalog, too, is that none of you, you never repeated yourself with the same type song a second time. Each single was different than the one before. I know. I, I meant to do that. <laughs> Did you? I was uh, I was kind of obstinate that way. Mm-hmm. And there, I love doing that. I just want, I want to just surprise them every time. You did too. And you know, most that, times... That's the actor in you, I yeah, think. Maybe so. <laughs> most most record companies don't want you to do that. They no, want they you want, to... Give me another one just like the other one. They want to mm-hmm. follow up. But man, for some reason, Tim Dubois, the head of Arista Records, he had this deep trust in me. I, I, it was it was amazing. It was like being handed the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He just went, you know what you're doing, and I nobody'd ever. <laughs> that was a first hearing that. <laughs> Love you getting lazy. You're getting to give me sweet sugar, words that I want to hear. You've been neglecting me. You know jealousy, it is bitter as a green spring berry. Oh, and just like fruit from a fickle vine, turns sweet in the nick of time. Love, you only come alive when you're losing me. And it's a childish game. I got to shake you up just to wake you up to make you love me. I shake the sugar tree till I feel your love falling all around me. Gotta tell her what you planted. If you take my love for granted, baby, I shake the sugar tree. Oh, yeah. Shake the sugar tree I'm Robert K. Orman and you're listening to Children of Song and our guest Pam Tillis The incomparable Pam Tillis (laughs) I'm a little incomparably uh, road weary this morning You you co-wrote Cleopatra, Queen of Denial and Mi Vida Loca Was that a a, some of them you wrote and some of them you didn't write I guess what I'm getting around to is that do you try to hold your own songs up to be better than the... Because you're in a town full of great songwriters. And you can take like a Shake the Sugar Tree or maybe it was Memphis that you did not write and invest it with as much passion as something you did write? You know, I could never close the door to outside songs mm-hmm. because there were so many great songs floating around. And I don't... some In some ways that was good for my career... Um, I'd probably been a lot richer if I'd focused a little bit more on my own copyrights, Mm -hmm. but I just, I loved some of the songs that other people were writing as well. So I just mixed it up. When you began to produce your own records, were you aware that, that you were kind of one of a kind? Women just didn't do that. I guess I knew that that there weren't a lot of people that had uh, A, wanted to do that or B, given, been given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I knew Gail Davies had had done that, and I guess co- uh, at that time only uh, 
Roseanne Cash had co-produced, and mm-hmm. there just wasn't a lot of that. No, and and I just thought that was not right. And I tell you, I, I really still feel like I don't understand why there aren't more women. There's a lot of women co-producing their records now, mm-hmm. but really just top to bottom producing themselves. I, I think there's a c- couple factors. Is One of the things is it's really hard to produce yourself and maintain any kind of objectivity. Right. And so... It's not always the best thing. Uh, really, I had a my uh, engineer for my All of This Love album. He was really instrumental in, in helping, and he was, um, I think, for all practical purposes, a co-producer. Um, and, and in all my records, even if I didn't get pro- producer credits, I was real hands-on. Always, yeah. Yeah, always. Do you think your father, in, in a way, uh, encouraged you to take that chance? I mean, having somebody no, so famous, then no, even if you... No, I don't think he thought about it like that. No? Uh, and he... Yeah, he he didn't think of it in those terms. He had to have been proud, though, when you won your CMA female vocals. Oh, my gosh. Award. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think yeah, I remember he, him talking about it on stage you a lot. Know, and, and, he would kid around about saying, oh, no, oh, now people know me as Pam Tillis' dad. Yeah, he says, I'm... Pam's daddy. <laughs> He'd come out on stage and say that. People would just love it. But, you know, you kind of uh, made reference in an earlier question or, or, or talked about, you know, dad, the dysfunction in dad and I's relationship. But pretty early on, what, what we never lost um, was a kind of... Um, respect for each other oh he thinks she and and we always loved each other don't get me wrong he totally you know there was always you. that but mm-hmm. he you know i felt really good that i earned a certain amount of respect from him that meant a lot to me when you started going up and appearing at his theater with him was that a re a kind of a re-bonding time yeah yeah because you yeah, did it was that for good. a while it, and and what made me he happy. had a theater in branson mm-hmm. missouri up up in the ozarks and pam would go up there and perform at the theater mm-hmm. with him and even though that wasn't Nashville, it was a little bit, it felt a little bit like a return of a prodigal daughter in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and at the time, uh, the big draw was because I was having hit records. Uh, so it was Dad and I, you know, Co-Bill, of course, you know, Daddy, Daddy, uh, the head Chiefy Weefy, right. <laughs> we called him, me and his well, band he'd been the him. entertainer of the year by then. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. He's but, funny. I mean, so funny. Would he skip yeah, back yeah, and we forth? Had, yeah, we had our banter that we fell into. And, and, you know, I was okay. I was good, happy to play the second banana to, to you know, my daddy. I mean, I was, you know, I was the straight, kind of the straight person. And he, I'd kind of set up the joke and he would knock them down. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a fun, easy rhythm to fall into. Um, and then what really made me happy was over time, Robert at the theater, I became aware, and maybe some of it was me starting to mature because by then I was in my mid to, mid to uh, I worked on and off at Dad's Theater for the next 10 years. And with maturity came the awareness that um, when Daddy and I were on stage, uh, time didn't mean anything. I was always his little girl. Mm-hmm. And I was always going to be his little girl. And that was really sweet. And the audience picked up on that in a way that was so moving. And every night people would come by the, invariably, 
somebody would come through the autograph line in tears. And they go, enjoy. Okay, I'm going to get choked up. They would go, enjoy every minute of it because it's so precious. You know, and it'd be people that had lost the parent and and lost their daddies. And, and so I became aware that I was able to uh, give the... We, were, we could do that for the audience. We could bring that wonderful family feeling mm-hmm. to them. And, and I want to mention, too, that my uh, various siblings and nieces and nephews were in and out of that show. And it was so... You know, and, it, and believe me, there's always, with any family show, there is drama. High <laughs> drama. And competition and and just and the kids were rowdy and unruly, all the little nieces and nephews, and there were fights backstage with and and just it was wild. I said we were like a we were like a, a poorly re- rehearsed hillbilly Osmonds at one point. <laughs> but looking back now we've got these great, you know, tapes, VCR tapes mm-hmm. of family shows that I would not trade for all the money in the world. How cool. In 2000, you get to become a member of the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. The ultimate, you know, one of the things that every single person in country music wants to do. And uh, that very same year was the 75th anniversary of the show. Wow. And you wrote one of the first of your custom songs, I would call them the $2 hat song for Minnie Pearl, which oh. I thought was a wonderful little piece. Thank you. Um, and you stuck with that yeah. and eventually got to induct your dad into the Opry yeah. cast. What was that like? Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I did not write $2 hat. Oh, you didn't? And I'm going to, it's early, I'm only on one cup of coffee, but help me find out the writers and we'll include it in okay. the back credits. But, uh, but I have stuck with that song. Um, my inducting, getting to be a part of inducting my dad into the Grand Ole Opry was just ironic and just just funny and uh, just of course and the story of Mel Tillis and Pam Tillis uh, you know of course that's the way it went down because everything else was topsy-turvy and so uh it was just beautiful and I always kid around with people and I say you know daddy just finally slowed down long enough for the Opry to catch him (laughs) because he was it was 2007 it was yeah he was you know, he was on the road for 54 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and he was everywhere but Nashville. That's true. Yeah, pretty He wasn't much. one of the ones I, I would run, I would run into him so rarely, and it was only mm-hmm. when he got older that I got to know him better. Yeah, yeah. Because he was here. That's yeah. right. So um, you went back to Broadway mm-hmm. at some point for Smokey mm-hmm. Joe's Cafe, mm-hmm. which I identify as a very black show. Mm-hmm. So were you dipping your toes back in your R&B mm-hmm. waters there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, vocally oh. I got to stretch. How was it? It was great, except that, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Throughout my career, I've suffered from varying degrees of stage fright. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do that, and it was a dream come true. But, man, opening night, I just thought, if I don't turn into just a grease spot on the stage, then it's going to be okay. But I wasn't entirely sure that's what wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so you got more nervous to be in a Broadway play than oh. you would to even open in a concert in front of, you Oh, know. yeah. Really? Why? Well, because it was so out of my comfort zone. 
Uh, no mic stand, no microphone. Well, there was one taped to your face. Mm-hmm. You're in full, you're in a, a wig and eyelashes and a costume. You're not, you're you, but you're not you. And, um, and there's no band behind you. And it is foreign. And not only that, but the people around you, they sing, act, and dance. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Give me a break. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. In 2002, you really did come full circle with It's All Relative, mm-hmm. which I have heard you say is your favorite album. Is that right? It's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that album. It just had a... It's Tillis Sings Tillis. It's Pam singing now. Oh, yeah. 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 That was one of my favorite. I, well, I'll tell you what that had to do with. Actually, the last two albums that I made, I just felt like it's not that my other albums weren't weren't me, mm-hmm. but... On those two albums, it was me really... Country music had just gone increasingly pop. And for a while, I was right in there with them. And some of my mid-90s records really started to get poppy production. And... Just, you can't do that too much with the Mel Tillis song. Yeah, and that <clears throat> and those weren't my... I feel like I start, sort of pulled away from a sound that I really liked, which was more organic. And so the Tillis Sings Tillis album was more organic. And by that didn't, that time, I wasn't on a major label, so I could do whatever the hell I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You teased us a little bit at the top of the show with I Ain't Never, but that's from that album. Yeah, that's from that album. Play a little bit of that for us. Uh, which, this is a great Mel Tillis classic. Oh, yeah. Just, uh... I never... I ain't never seen nobody like you. Oh, 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 never have I ever seen nobody like you. Well, you call me up, say meet me at night. Have to hurry, hurry, but I'm there on time. Walk right up, knock on your door. Landlord said he ain't here no more. I ain't never. Whoa, darling, see nobody like you. Whoa, oh, but I love you. Yeah, I love you, boy. I love you just the same. Said I love you just the same. Said I love you just. I love you just the same. And I sing it a little bit bluesier than Daddy. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so good. Yeah. He, Mel Tillis was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2007. Was that a big family celebration? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I got to go. He took me, and I don't, under, I don't remember the moment he said, you can go to that, but I was very excited. And... Uh, it was and just, so deserved. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> he was at the top of his game. And, you know, for the young artist and younger fans, I try to explain it to them. And I said, well, it was kind of like your daddy was Garth Brooks or Kenny Chesney or mm-hmm. Tim McGraw or, you know, he was 
and Entertainer of the Year. And uh, that's big. It's really big. Uh, that same year, Raising Sand was released. And I think this is a hilarious story, that your dad didn't know who Robert Plant was. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Raising Sand is a duet album that won Gram- the Grammy for Album of the Year for Alison Krauss and Robert Plant. Yeah. And Mel had a song on it. Right. So there are times when I am reminded, in case I forget, how cool Daddy really is. And, of course, getting a cut on the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss album was just about as cool as it gets. Yeah. And there was also a a time recently... But you had to tell him who Robert Plant was. Yeah, yeah, I did. And recently I was in an East Nashville watering hole... And it's all hipsters. And, you know, I think that particular weekend, all these people had flown in from New York City, and they're all hanging around this really, really hip bar. And all of a sudden, it was barely barely audible, but it was Charlie Pride's Snakes Crawl at Night. And I went, oh, my God, uh, I think my dad wrote that. He did. (laughs) It was a funny moment. (laughs) Yeah. So. You, you told him that Stick With Me Baby was on the record, and he said, so what? Or what did he say? No, he's like, no. Oh, as a songwriter, Daddy doesn't even, he just loves having songs recorded. And he, <laughs> later on when he found out what a big deal it was, he, and he looked at his BMI statement, he was really happy. <laughs> <laughs> BMI being the person that writes you your checks. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you've been appearing in the TV show Nashville. Quite a bit. You want to do? You want to do more of that? More TV acting? Uh, gosh, before my face completely falls, yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> do you sing Mel in your shows today? When you do, when I you do. do a show, what do you do? I do. I do Heart Over Mind. Oh, let's hear that. Let's close with oh, that. Oh my God, uh, it's really so beautiful. It's a shuffle. It's well, there not was a the shuffle. way I do it. You know me, obstinate. I do it with my trio. I have an all-female trio, and it's so beautiful. Let's see if I can do it. I love you so much, I can't leave you. Even though my mind tells me I should. Then you make me think you really want me And all my thoughts of living do no good You got me hard over mine Worried all the time Knowing you will always be the same You keep hurting me, I know But I just can't let you go Cause my heart won't let my love for you change. 
Pam Tillis, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B-Side, Stories from the Road. Here's a chance for us to have a little fun and tell one more story. As any performer will tell you, if you spend enough time under those bright lights, at some point, you're bound to lose your balance. Once again, here's Pam Tillis talking about her awkward tumble, which included a remarkable recovery. Well, I'll tell you a funny thing. Everybody says, you know, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Mm -hmm. Or a lot of young entertainers, you know, the first time they fall on stage... Yeah, that's a, a Lori Morgan story. Is a, Well, mm-hmm. I know that story. First time you fall on stage is a big deal. But honest to God, if you spend decades on a stage, you are going to, at some time, find yourself flat on the stage. And it doesn't mean you've been drinking or anything. It's just you're, It's going to happen. And uh, so I've taken a couple of spills. Uh, but the most interesting one was... Um, it was in a in an old theater and there was an orchestra pit and i think it was about a 5000 seater theater which there's always more people there than it looks you know it's it's hard to know that there there's many but there were a lot of people there anyway um i used to do a song in my show called till all the lonely's gone and at the end of it i would do that uh you know you make me want to shout just a little bit louder now. Shout, you know, all that thing, little rave, send mm-hmm. up, whatever kind of thing. And the whole audience has got their art, their hands up in the air, and they're all shouting, and there's a call and response, and it's just, you know, the roof is about to come off the place. And I walk into the orchestra pit, <laughs> and I see, you know, I didn't see the ground floor, but I saw the, the 2,000 people that were on the, in the upper tiers lean forward and look down and go, where'd she go? (laughs) The band kept playing. There was a hand that came down. I think maybe it was the bass player's hand. And he he reached down, and I actually, it wasn't a deep pit, and so I'd fallen somehow magically on my feet. But I was submerged, totally submerged. And the hand came down, and he, he yanked me up. He was a strong guy. He yanked me up. And I got up, and I never stopped singing, and the band never stopped playing. And that was as about as big a response as you can get from an audience. <laughs> if there were babies, they would have been thrown. But that was a cool moment. On a quick final note, Robert and I both remarked how tender Pam spoke about her father in this episode. She had the biggest smile on her face as he talked about those old stories growing up, sitting in his lap, singing those songs. Well, he'd been sick for a while, and last month, he passed away at the age of 85. The Coca-Cola Cowboy will be missed. 
Don't you knock on my door It's too late now And I know you'll never change Next week, the singer-songwriter Kendall Marvel stops by. We'll talk about what it's like to write songs with the country music star Chris Stapleton. They've written like 60 songs together. And all the excitement surrounding Kendall's new album. This one was so good, we moved it up. It's a can't miss. You can only find right here on Children of Song, the podcast that combines live music with great storytelling. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening. Just don't care. She said, You're just a Coca Cola cowboy. You got a Eastwood smile and Robert Redford hair. But you walked across my heart like it was Texas. And you taught me. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.